All right. See, we made it through technical difficulties, all that. We're still here, right? God's still here. We have finished uh, the 40 days of prayer, and I said this last week, but uh, I'm going to say it again. We finished the 40 days of prayer, but I wanted to do a quick just review of it, and then moving forward for today, we're going to continue with the reawakening theme, uh, just a, a little different context. So just as a reminder of what we looked at in January and February with the 40 days of prayer, we talked about reawakening to Christ in different ways. Uh, the very first week, Pastor Chris shared with us, and it was the reawakening to the glory of Christ and the reality that God's glory wants to shine about us. And we look at different scriptures where we see that. And I believe that God is present here with us, and we have the opportunity to experience His glory as we gather together. And, and so uh, we are, we're asked to reawaken to that glory. Uh, week number two, Pastor Terry uh, spoke uh, and preached that morning on reawakening to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And we really spent time talking about, we really spent time talking about the reality that Jesus is our Savior, but also that Jesus is our sanctifier. And that we are saved, we are being saved, and we are learning to walk in His ways, and we are being holy as He is holy. Uh, God sets us apart and makes us holy, but then we are always walking in that holiness. Talked about the week three reawakening to the Spirit of Christ. And we talked about the Holy Spirit's identity that He gives us as He marks us, as He seals us. And we are part of His family, and nothing can take us out of the hand of God. But also that we have an inheritance that we have through the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. What week now is that? One, two, three. Week four was reawakening to the church of Christ. And we said that it was all about Jesus. And then we have to remember that he is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. No man, no one here, no person, no group is the head, but Jesus is the head of the church. And that he gives us authority to act as his church. And that we remember that we don't belong to a country. If we are followers of Jesus, we belong to his kingdom first. And that we keep our priorities with his kingdom first. Two weeks ago, we looked at reawakening to the mission of Christ. And we talked about the feast. That we all are invited to the table. And that we all get to come and we will eat with him and sit and eat. And how much fun is it to be able to do that? Again, the highlight of our scheduling for this next week seems to be the fact that we get to eat together. Right? For family. No. It's getting to hear the people. It's getting to hear the stories and what God's doing. But, you know, feasting while we do it, that's a good thing too, right? Um, but not only do we get to feast, but we get, invite, we get the opportunity to bless others by inviting them to the feast. And it's not just a simple invite and run, but that we need to be compelled. We need to go to people and compel them to come and be part of this. Last week, we looked at reawakening to the return of Christ. We talked about the reality that Jesus will return. He will come back. He will. He promised and he will. And that we need to be watching for signs. We need to keep our eyes up and watching and seeing what's going on. But more importantly than that, we need to make sure that we are ready. We are ready. That we are ready in our hearts and our lives for ourselves for him. But also that we are doing the things that he's called us to do to help prepare his church and anyone else that might be coming in. 
And I had mentioned a, a little bit while back about the whole reality that we are so, come Lord Jesus, come. But if there's someone else that needs to know you, then wait. Because we want those people to come in. And Jesus doesn't want to see anyone perish. He wants all to come to repentance in him. So Jesus, wait until they come. And so it's not about us and Jesus coming and saving us from this evil, wicked world. But it's we want to see as many people as possible come to know Jesus. And that's the task that he's given to us. And so that was, those were the things that we talked about. Uh, reawakening to his glory, to his life, death, resurrection, to his spirit, to his church, to the mission, and to the return of Christ. And through this whole time, I've talked about, used for the example, reawakening, kind of that readjusting our vision. And we go get our eyes checked, and we realize, oh my goodness, I didn't realize my prescription had changed until we put on those new glasses, and now we see everything clearly. Who wears corrective lenses of some kind? It's okay, my hands are up. Yeah, that's a lot of us. For those of you that don't, man, consider yourself blessed. Consider yourself blessed. I remember the first time I got glasses. I was a junior in high school, and I was trying out for the baseball team, and I had never had any issues hitting the baseball. Hitting the baseball, was an, it just came easy for me. I could, see, I could see the pitcher release the ball. I could see how those seams were spinning and turning, and I knew where that ball was going to be, and I could hit it until I couldn't. And I couldn't because I couldn't see. I couldn't see, and I didn't know what the problem was. And so we had had two days of tryouts. I had two days left, and my mom had taken me to get my eyes checked because I had said when I sat in the back, that's where the youth sat, for church, that the pastor's face was kind of blurry. And so she made this eye point when we get, went in, and I got glasses. And thankfully, it was one of those one-hour type places. You got, you got your exam, and you got your glasses. And it was like, oh, my goodness. I had no clue how bad my eyes were. No clue. Anyone ever experienced that? No clue. I had no clue. Not only that, I found out that I had astigmatism in both eyes. And so that, uh, that messed with my depth perception uh, for both eyes. And so when I first put them on, it was kind of like, this is weird. I mean, I could see, but the correction for that statement just was weird. It felt weird. Um, and so I went throughout the day, and as the day went on, I kind of got used to it, kind of got used to it, and we came back to night three of baseball tryouts. We had four nights of baseball tryouts. Came to night three, and, and I had my glasses on, and the pitcher let go of that ball, and I saw it coming in, and I just ripped it. I just ripped it, knocked it, and all of a sudden, the coach turned and was like, who just hit that? And I'm like, that was me, coach. And... Uh, He's like, you hadn't hit a ball all week. I said, I can hit him now. And, uh, and, and I did. And I was able to. And I just started hitting the ball, hitting the ball. But it was amazing to me. I had no clue that I couldn't see like that. I had no clue until I put those glasses on. And so I was very thankful. Went on the next night, had a good, good practice as well, and made the baseball team and played for the baseball team my junior year. And I batted 556 my junior year. So I was very thankful for that. It was a good thing. It was a good thing. Um, but when we are talking about reawakening, it's that idea of has our vision slowly gotten worse over time and we haven't even realized it. We haven't realized it. So we've talked about some great things. We've talked about great things. 
glory of Christ. Life, death, resurrection, spirit, church, mission, return. And I just really felt that as we were wrapping this up, that we want to take one more look at just a little bit of a different perspective for this. All of these things are about Jesus and, and, and what we have out there. And I thought we might take one week and talk about what we have right here in ourselves. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to stand and turn to Mark chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 28 through 34. You might want to call this reawakening to the greatest commandment of Christ. Mark 12, verse 28. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sharing of this story that we have, this history, this time in history where Jesus and this lawyer had this uh, conversation and the revealing of the greatest commandments. Father, as we take time to look into ourselves and to see if we have gotten a little off focus or uh, that we need a, a better prescription, uh, that we've drifted a little bit. I pray that today your Holy Spirit will reveal to us who you're calling us to be. Father, that we would hear, but then also, Lord, that we would go and make these adjustments through the help of your Holy Spirit. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what we really want to do this morning is focus in there on the, the heart, the soul, the mind, the body, Christ. The first one there, the heart of Christ. What's the heart of Christ? When I think of the heart of Christ, what do I think about? I think about kind of that, that centerpiece of who we are, really that passion that we have. When you hear the word passion, what do you think of? Is passion just something you kind of do on the side once a week? Passion, what is passion? Passion totally engulfs and envelops and just everything about you, right? You ever met someone and after meeting them, you said, that's a passionate person. That person's passionate. Passionate about, and we can get passionate about all kinds of things, but the question is, do we have the heart of Christ and do we have the passion for him? The heart is the concept of our inner self that is truly the center of our life. What is truly the center of our life? And I would say, especially drawn alongside of that, really runs our emotions because when we are truly passionate, 
passionate about something, our emotions often carry that and are a part of that, wouldn't you say? Our, march, our emotions go along with that. What was the passion? What is the heart of Jesus? Uh, I, I would offer two different parts to this and a couple different things. First, Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is who Jesus is. This is why he came. This is what he wanted to do. He came to seek and save the lost. And then also Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To me, these are the things that were passionate about Jesus. Jesus wanted to serve. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to give his life up. Our heart our heart is what consumes us. It's what burns within us. It's what motivates us. It's what consumes us. What are those things in your life that motivates you? That consumes you? That burns inside of us? In these scriptures here, we see what Jesus' purpose was. We see what consumed him. It was to love others. It was to see them saved. It was to serve people. The heart in this context stresses the idea of, of, of what really determines our actions and our pursuits. Because those things that we are uh, passionate about are the things that we tend to spend our time involved in and doing. And so my question for us today is, um, what, how do we need to reawaken to the heart of Christ. And this is a simple thing. Because you see people, when they come to know Jesus, a lot of the time, there's so much excitement in them. And it's not just a, a head knowledge excitement, it's emotional excitement. It's an all-within-them excitement. Often, a lot of times, especially if it's an adult who has lived a life of some kind, and they come to know Jesus, there's often tears, tears of sadness, tears of joy that go along with someone who's received Jesus as their Savior for the first time. Or if there's a new call on someone's life, they've been walking, I've had the opportunity to be at many life conferences where I've seen students called to full-time ministry. And I saw them at the beginning of the week when they came just to have a good time and play on all the big toys and hear some cool bands and them being themselves. And then I see the power of the Holy Spirit grab a hold of them and pull them to a calling. And I see that passion and emotion re just erupt in them that wasn't there earlier in the week. And I think sometimes we could get just so caught up in life because life happens, doesn't it? <laughs> and life wants to steal our joy and it wants to take that passion from us. And so in these moments, do we have to stop and ask ourselves, I feel like it's something I need to do consistently and say, Lord, what is my passion? Do I need to realign my passion with your passion? And so that's my question today. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Matthew 6, 21 through 23 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
So again, we're talking about the heart, but we're talking about the eyes and what are the condition of our eyes. And if our eyes have gotten off just a little bit, then what becomes the condition of our heart? It could become darkness. And we don't want any of that, do we? Especially as followers of Jesus who is in the light. Where are we at? Where are we at? As his children, we get to set our affections on him. <laughs> How great is that? That's what we get to do. That's what we get to come in and sing songs. That, that's why, I mean, I tell you, have I told you I love music? Um, I, I mean, I'm up here. Poor Crystal. She's right there. She has to hear me sing every week because I'm right there singing it out because I love, that's opportunity to, for me to set my affections on Jesus and to sing to him. And that's who I'm singing for. That's why I stand up here. I don't want any of you guys to hear me. But poor Crystal has to hear me every week. I just, I love doing it. It's, it comes out of a heart for pas of passion for him. We get to desire God in his ways above all else. That's what we get to do. It's so exciting. Uh, an old one, this, this was an old, when I was in college, this was a popular song taken from Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. You remember that song? Is it starting to play in your head right now? I love music. Do we pant for God like that deer would be panting for water? What do you pant for? What do you pant for? Is your heart set on him? I, I, I'm not trying. I, please don't, don't take this as any kind of guilt thing. That's not what I'm just saying. We all need to take time and make sure that we need to make adjustments or not. That's all. And, and as family, we should desire this for each other. We should care for each other if our hearts are aligned with Christ and his passion. Uh, it, it's no stranger to most of you guys, uh, I enjoy disc golf, okay? I enjoy disc golf for, for I've, I've determined there's three reasons that I enjoy disc golf, three reasons. And those three reasons are all passions of mine, okay? Disc golf is not the passion. It, it's what allows me to experience the other three passions. And that's this. One, I have a passion for the outdoors. I love being outside. I love it. When I play disc golf, I feel like I'm hiking. I really do. Now, yeah, it's kind of in a circle and back and forth and stuff like that. But I'm still, I'm out hiking. And I, I just love the outdoors. The other is competition. I have a passion for competition. I enjoy it. It's fun. It's fun. I don't have to win, but it's fun to try, okay? Um, and so I enjoy that. And the third one is I have... Um, a passion for relationships. And in disc golf, I get a chance to build relationships, especially with people that aren't in this room. Why do I say that? Because I'm around Christians all the time. I love Christians, but I need an outlet to try to find people and, react and, and relate with people that aren't. And that's one of those areas that I have an opportunity to do that. And so I love meeting people, but I love especially meeting people that don't know Jesus and have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And so those are them. Outdoors, competition, relationship. Those are things. And when I play disc golf, I get all three of those things. You say, well, there's other things you could do. Yeah, well, okay, but this throws a Frisbee too. So that's fun, okay? And so I like that. And so that's why I do that. And so I, I think that we get the opportunity. When we know our passion, then Jesus will give us opportunities to express our passion in him through ways that we enjoy. Having a heart after him and having a passion for him shouldn't be something that burdens us and wears us down. 
It should be life-giving. It should be filling. A heart of Christ, the heart of Christ. Passion. The second one is this, the soul of Christ. The soul of Christ. Um, soul here, talking about the physical life and our self-concept, really that idea of who you are, our soul. And I would say with our soul, what this really talks about is our opportunity to choose our choices, the things that we choose to do, the choices that we make. We get to choose to love God. We get to love God with our whole soul. Uh, life means to be, uh, choosing God means to be willing to give your life to God and devote it all to him. Choosing to give our life to God. That's what our soul does. We choose to live for, for God or we choose to live for ourselves. When we give our life to God, it's a total commitment. It's a total commitment. Jesus didn't give half a commitment. He gave a full commitment. And so he asks of us, we get that opportunity then to turn and give total commitment to him. In the word soul, we see the will, the will, choosing God, giving one's life to him. Jesus said this uh, in John 10, 30. He says, I and, I and the Father are one. When it comes to our will, can we say, I and the Father and the Father are one? Can we say that about our own will? Or do we choose our will? Do we choose our choices? What do we do? What's our innermost being say? What's our soul say? Jesus says this in John 6, 38 through 40. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those, not, that I should lose none of all of those he has given me. But raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. That's the will. Jesus says, my will is my Father's will. And it's to see people come to know me and for me to bring them to my Father. That's Jesus' will. Because it's God's will. Who are we in the inmost of our being? When it comes to making our choices... Do we have the soul of Christ? Do we call out, Father, I want to have your will? And I would say this, this isn't something we choose once. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to make this decision. And here it is. Guys, this is an every day. This is an every day. Why? I'll tell you why it is for me. Because this flesh is weak. And I want to go back and do what I want to do. Right? I want to do what I want to do. I know that every time I start a new diet. Nope, I just want to do what I want to do. I started five last week. My wife's laughing because she knows it's true. I want to do what I want to do. When it comes to our will, we have to daily surrender to him and say, Father, today let me walk according to your will. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Every day, it's our choice. The third thing we see here is the mind of Christ. 
the mind of Christ. So we had our passions, we had our, cho our choosings, our choices. Now we have our thoughts. We have our thoughts. What is the mind of Christ? The mind comes to our ideas, our viewpoints, our perspective on life, the way that we see things. To love God with all of our mind means to submit our minds, our thought patterns, our opinions. We don't like that one. To submit our opinions to the decisions of God's word. God tells us how to think and how to live our lives. It's right here in scripture. But we like our, our opinions. We like our perspectives. We don't always like to step off over here and see a different perspective. We, we enjoy the perspectives we have a lot of time. But God calls us to have the mind of Christ, which means those patterns, opinions, and, and uh, perspectives should fall under what he calls us to be, not according to ourselves. We all know, or a good bit of us know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, your own thoughts, perspectives, and opinions. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 16. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And we only have that mind if we are submitting all of our perspectives, all of our, perspectives, all of our opinions, all of our thoughts to him. And that's something that we get to do because then his Holy Spirit will flow out of us and will give us that wisdom and gives us that spirit fullness that allows us to speak in ways that others won't understand. And that's exciting to me because I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm not smart enough to know how to do things. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for the wisdom. I ask God all the time for wisdom. How do we get that? We spend, a, spend time in prayer. We spend time listening to the Holy Spirit. We spend time asking for wisdom. We spend time in his word so that our minds are like his. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things. What do we spend time thinking about? I'll tell you, I'll be completely honest with you. This week, preparing for this sermon, looking at these scriptures, looking at all this, I had to stop and repent and say, Lord, my thoughts have not been honoring to you. I've had to make adjustments. I had to make adjustments. Because I realized, and, and you ever have that? You're just going through the day and something comes in your mind. You're like, what in the world am I thinking that for? Father, forgive me, repent, I repent. That's what he calls us to do, this we get to do. He washes us clean. And, and the exciting thing is, is it shouldn't be something that I carry on my own. It should, I should be able to share that with my family because it's something we're all going through. If you're having those thoughts, if your brain is stuck somewhere that it doesn't need to be in a place that isn't set above, but it's set below, then I we want to help, I want to help you get past that. 
The elders want to help you get through that. We, we, want to, we want to come alongside of you and walk with you because the world throws up a lot of things for us to think about that aren't honorable for the things above. And, and, and I'm sorry, no man, no woman can walk through that by themselves. I can't. I have to have good brothers and sisters to help walk through those things. And so if the, if, if the enemy has you somewhere in, in your thoughts, in a place that, that is not honoring to God, we want to help you with that. We should. This should be the safest place in the world for us to be able to come together and walk through those difficult things and help each other. This should be the safest place. And unfortunately, the pattern that the church has had is that this hasn't been the safest place. I want to make this the safest place for us to be able to do that. The last one is the body of Christ. And really this comes down to actions. It comes down to actions. It says strength. This refers to all of our abilities, our talents, our gifts, our physical powers. All of this surrendered and devoted to Jesus for his glory. Philippians 2.8, Jesus surrendered his body and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's what Jesus, that was his action. That's what he chose to do. That's what he chose to do. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And I'm going to say this, just, just as I said about our minds. This world throws a lot of stuff at us with our bodies and other bodies. And if that's a place of struggle, if that's a place that needs to be readjusted, if you need your prescription fixed in that area, maybe you need a very bad prescription fixed in that area. We want to be a safe place for you to be able to come and get help and walk through that with you, praying for you, helping you. Because we want, we, because it's, it's free. It's freeing to let go of those things. When you're holding on to those things, you're bound. But when you can walk in victory of those things, it's so freeing. We're not to lean into our own strength because we probably can't do it. We're to use the strength as we lean by faith in Jesus. That's the strength. And then he's given us this life together to walk in strength. He has to be the base and the reason for our being, for our actions, with all of our abilities, talents, gifts, physical powers. I'm going to ask the music team to come. And we're going to close up. Here's the reality. Ultimately, all of this means we love God. <laughs> we love God. That's the first commandment. Love God in all of these areas. In all of these areas, in our heart, in our soul, in our mind, in our bodies, we get to love God. And if there's anything that's distracting us from loving God to his fullest, then what are those things that we need to readjust in our lives so that we can help do that and so that we can do that together? Where are you at? Where are you at with your passion? Where are you at with your choices? Where are you at with your thoughts? Where are you at with your actions? Do they need to be reawakened to the, 
to the passion of Jesus? Do they need to be a reawakening to Jesus? The music team's going to play for a little bit. I'm going to pray and then they're going to play for a little bit. And I want to spend just some time in prayer. Asking God in those four areas in our life, Lord, do I need an adjustment? Do I need to confess anything to you? Do I need to repent from anything this morning? Our altars are here. You can come forward and pray. We have elders right here that would love to pray with you. Their wives are here. They'd love to pray with you if you need to come and have someone pray. If you say, I can't do it here, then afterwards in our prayer room, the elders will be back there and you can go pray with them. But if God is saying, hey, this needs to adjust, don't leave here today without doing it. Father, I love these people. And I know you love them. And we want nothing more than to see a right relationship with you. So Father, I ask right now if there's anyone in this room that in any of these four areas needs to realign themselves with you, I pray that you will do that this morning. Father, thank you that you are a loving, forgiving God who gives us grace, who gives us forgiveness, who accepts our repentance. Your love is so great that you might even throw some discipline in there for us, but it's for our benefit. And I thank you for that. We love you, Jesus.